You're listening to the World Watch Weekly Podcast by Open Doors Canada. The goal of this podcast is to help you pray for your persecuted family. Since 1955, when Brother Andrew went behind the Iron Curtain for the first time, Open Doors has been strengthening persecuted Christians where faith costs the most. For more information about Open Doors Canada or about the World Watch List, please visit our website at www.opendoorsca.org. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to the World Watch Weekly Podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm excited for you to join us for this special two-part episode. June 18th is the 40th anniversary of Project Pearl. Project Pearl was the name given to a clandestine mission by Open Doors in 1981, where we delivered one million Bibles to a secluded beach in China in one night. It's an incredible story full of many miracles. This week, Jared had the opportunity to sit down with Paul Estabrooks. Paul Estabrooks has worked for Open Doors for almost 40 years. He's the author of many books, including a book called A Night with a Million Miracles, which is the story of Project Pearl. The reason Paul was able to write this book is he was one of the members of the crew that delivered those million Bibles. So you're going to want to listen in to what Paul has to say as he recounts the preparation that leads up to it, the story and the impact it had on the church in China. Enjoy this episode. Well, we're pleased to be joined today by Paul Estabrooks. Paul has uh, been involved with Open Doors for uh, how long, Paul? 38 years was my tenure. Wow. In, in just a couple sentences, so our listeners know, what was Project Pearl? Uh, Project Pearl was the largest project, um, uh, clandestine project, I think we could call it, uh, that Open Doors ever did. And it was a request from China, not a, not a, a dreamed up project. It was an actual response to a request for one million Chinese Bibles. The challenge of Project Pearl was that they asked for them all at one time, all at one place. And a million Chinese Bibles weighed 232 tons. So we're talking about a project that all of us in the beginning thought was absolutely impossible. And, uh, and God proved to us that with him, nothing is impossible. Uh, and, and that's the, the essence of Project Pro. On June the 18th, 1981, we actually left those million Bibles on a beach in southern China uh, with thousands of Christians there delivering them. And although it took us two hours to, to give them though that heavy load, but it took them five years to carefully distribute those all through the country. Wow. That's, it's quite incredible, the idea of smuggling one million Bibles into such <laughs> yes. a place just at, at one time. Is. And the reason we're talking about that today, you mentioned the date, uh, June 18, 1981. So we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of Project Pearl. And so the reason we've brought uh, Paul on the podcast today is to just reminisce about uh, what that was like 40 years ago. So what I'm going to do, Paul, is just open it up and have you tell us the story of how that came about and what happened and uh, anything else you want to share about the, the journey of delivering a million Chinese Bibles. Um, I'm delighted to be able to share it. It's my favorite story. I actually wrote 
the the um, organizational book on mm-hmm. the on the project called Night of a Million Miracles because God performed a million miracles before we even got to that beach that night and that's to me the real key of Project Pearl. It all really started in 1979, which was the year I joined Open Doors in Asia. And it was that year that the big things began to happen. It was really quite something. And we had a wonderful team in Asia. On this project, uh, God brought us together with a director who had a big, a big faith. I mean, he, he wanted to trust God for big things. And when this request came, it was just, it was just, well, we, we can't just leave it until we see if God's going to give us the opportunity to do it. In 79, the first request we got was for 30,000 New Testaments. And this is a very small, a very small little tiny Chinese. It's, it's the entire New Testament in, in traditional script, which is still used in some parts of the world today, that script outside of China. It is small. But if you put 500 of these in a hard side suitcase, and in those days, the suitcases usually didn't have wheels like they now all have. (laughs) And uh, 500 of these weighed uh, 92 pounds. So, or 47 kilos, I think it it, it works out to something like that. But it's, uh, it was... It was incredible uh, project called Project Rainbow. And th- this was in the days of suitcasing, which was the way that uh, Bibles were taken into China by various organizations, um, including Open Doors in the late 1970s. Uh, China really opened up in 1979. That was the year that things began to change. And we went in uh, to the trade fair as in a in a group of people that were connected to a business or to a trade fair there. And over 10 days, 30,000 of these little New Testaments safely were into the country uh, through suitcasing. 30 people with two suitcases, one in each hand, that each of them weighed 92 pounds. Uh, Boy, uh, the, the Chinese Christians call it Project Rainbow, but those of us who carry those heavy bags called it Project Hernia. It was incredible to try and carry those things through a customs, uh, up to a, a customs agent face on, face to face, and make them look like they're light as a feather, and that and you know trusting God they would not open them because if you opened that suitcase, there was nothing in the suitcase except these New Testaments. Not there wasn't room for even a cloth. Uh, there was just packed. And uh, those Bibles got through, and in just days, they were distributed, and the Christians came back and said, oh, we stayed up all night thanking God. They had an all-night prayer and praise meeting to thank God for a tiny little New Testament like this, because they they had such a shortage of Bibles, and the the church was beginning to mushroom at this point, which is something we weren't really totally aware of, the scope of at that time, too. So they came back and said, uh, these were not enough. You know, even we have even house church pastors in our group that still didn't even get one of these. They have no Bible. And, and um, they said, we are asking you for one million Bibles. That's what we really need. Now, this was one, essentially one large network in the southern part of China. 
but they promised to share them with all the Christians that they knew. But they said, every, if every Christian we know gets a Bible, when well, we need a million of them. And our, we sent our colleague, his name was uh, Ben, and we sent Ben in to meet these house church leaders again and, and to ask them, do you realize how many a million Bibles are? I mean, we're talking huge uh, space just to store them even, and the weight is going to be just incredible. And so, first of all, we aren't even sure how we can get them to you. Later, they suggested a beach that was not far from their place. And, and it, was, it was clear that something of that weight, uh, 232 tons, the only way we would do it all at one time would be by sea. So that, that became pretty obvious. But he said to them, you know, well, okay, so you understand. They said, yes, we understand how many they are, how heavy they'll be. We have a place for them. You just bring them. We're worried about you. Yeah, yeah. But if you can just bring them, we're ready. And Ben says, yeah, but are you ready for the potential of what could happen if you're discovered with this many Bibles from outside the country? Now, remember, at this time in China, they were not printing Bibles inside. Today, China has the largest Bible printing press operation in the entire world. It's not just for China. It's, they do Bibles for all over the world. But I mean, it's really interesting that now, and this was one of our purposes with Pearl, was to kind of put pressure on China to print Bibles, you know, legitimate Bibles legally inside the country. And of course, that way they could then say, we don't want anything coming in from outside. They did say that in the 90s, 79 rather, in 80, 81. But if you aren't printing them yourself and they want Bibles, where do they get them? And so that was the... That was the challenge. So Joseph said to them, do you know what could happen to you if you're discovered with them, even a portion of a million Bibles? There were five men. They were all house church pastors. And he stood up and he said, Ben, every one of us has been in prison for our faith in Jesus in this past decade. And we are willing to die if a million brothers and sisters can have a copy of God's word. Ben came back to our management team, and he had tears rolling down his face. He said, this is what these guys said. If they're willing to die, what are we willing to do? So it was a request that we could not ignore. And we realized, well, if God wants them to have a million Bibles, then we have to trust him to enable us to do it, because we don't know what we're doing. We're just trusting that something could happen. And so the short story is that God brought us a key people, key person, two key persons. One was a missionary in the Philippines who had been a sea captain before he became a Christian. This man named Bill Tinsley, who is now just a few years back on to be with the Lord. Bill was just a really talented guy. He was, he, he was a real seaman and uh, a true sea captain. And um, he came one day with Brother David, our director, who is the man of faith and the visionary for this whole thing, and was challenged to say, how could you take a million Bibles into China? And Bill said, there's only one way, and that's by the sea. And so we began to 
as a team began to ask the Lord, how can we do this? So we had planning meetings where we sensed God was in this. Now, meanwhile, Open Doors International has been pitched this project by Brother David, our Asia director. His, his real name was Doug Sutphin, and Doug is now with the Lord. And Doug uh, went to the management meetings and said, we've been asked to do a million Bibles, and we know it's just almost sounds impossible, but we believe that God wants us to do this, and we want to trust mm -hmm. God to see if we can accomplish this. So he, he pitched it without any idea of how it would be done, but knowing that it would cost a lot of money. Now, in those days, my understanding of the international budget for Open Doors, international, we're talking worldwide at the time, was about $10 million. And uh, Doug said to Brother Andrew and the team, this project is probably going to cost about 7 to $10 million to really do, to do something this big. And they're going like, whoa, you know, that's, that's going to be double what our income is, you know. So that's the first miracle. I mean, what organization would say, let's, let's trust God for a project that's going to cost us twice as much as money as what we have coming in right now. I mean, and, and, and do it in the next year or so. It was amazing. But, but they prayed a lot about it and, and, uh, and gave some guidelines. And the project was approved. With um, They did do some fundraising, of course, in the United States. Uh, Pat Robertson interviewed Brother Andrew on a very special uh, TV special. It was called Inside China, the Secret Church. And it just said these, these Christians who meet secretly are asking us for one million Bibles. Didn't say, we didn't say there all at one time, all at one place. Because... Publicly, we wanted people to think that we would just extend our suitcasing methodology till we did a million Bibles. So that was the that was what we actually wanted people to think to keep the element of surprise. Scripture that they based the reason to accept Project Pearl was uh, Jeremiah chapter thirty-three, verse three says, "God says to Jeremiah, ask me, and I will show you great and wonderful things that you do not know." And um, that was what we asked God for. We said, God, that's, that's the way we are going to approach Project Pearl. We have no idea what to do or how this is going to happen or even where the money is going to come from. But we want, we're asking you to show us. And um, step by step, God began to show us. Uh, the captain, uh, Bill Tinsley, was, in my opinion, the... He was the real hero of this project. The, this man was just such an incredible personality and brilliant, brilliant man. Had no formal education, but was just, he, he just learned everything very quickly on his own. Uh, he, he was the one who came up with the ultimate plan. And the plan was we would get a, we would build a very special barge. Uh, that would be huge and could hold 232 one-ton blocks of Bibles. So the plan was to print a, a million Chinese Bibles. And again, your listeners aren't going to see this, but I have a sample. It's quite a bit bigger than that tiny little New Testament I showed you. <laughs> but this is a pocket of what you would probably call a very thick pocket size uh, Bible. It's the full Bible from Genesis to Revelation. 
and it's um i would say it's about uh, five inches tall three inches wide and a good solid inch thick it this weighs half a pound so one bible like this is half of a pound a million of them then weighed 232 tons um, because you know, a million bibles is a lot wow. a lot bigger volume than anybody can almost even picture when you see it so we were ha- we were able to have the bibles printed they would be put into cardboard boxes of 90 to a box and then you'd have 48 boxes stacked up in, in a in a pile and then you waterproof wrap that pile or block we called it a block and then seal it uh, hot seal the uh, waterproof covering then tie ropes around it so it could be lifted and put down into a barge uh, on the deck and there would be 232 of these one ton blocks and that was the essential strategy to put it into a barge and then this barge would be pulled by a tugboat uh, which was large, which was normal in China. Tugboats pulling barges were mm-hmm. all over the place. There it was it was very a very common sight to see along the coast. So, uh, but this barge was very special. There's, I don't think there's been a barge built like this. We had it specially built in the Philippines, and it had uh, like the principle of submarines. It had tanks in it that would take in water so that the barge would sink down to just below the level of the water, not not deep, but because we were going to be close to shore anyway. We wanted it just down to water level with electric doors on the side that would go, fall down. And then these blocks that were all tied together would fall like slices of bread. So when you open the end of a loaf of bread, for example, that's been sliced, uh, and you take off a couple of slices, if you don't uh, catch them, the rest of the slices will fall down. Mm-hmm. And they were tied together so that you could pull. There'd be a little bit of water on the deck when the when the barge is down below the water with big pumps then down in there to pump out that water when you're all done and bring the barge back up to the surface. So that was the strategy. All the brilliant planning and engineering of the, the captain, Bill Tinsley, and uh, then they would come off. We'd take little boats and tow these blocks, pull them into the shore. We would take shears that the uh, believers could use to cut open the waterproof wrapping. And then they would hand these boxes of Bibles, I mean, 90 to a box, mm-hmm. 45 pounds each box. They would hand them daisy chain style up, up the beach. And um, so we, had a, we, we set out with this plan. And it, the reason you need to whole, read a whole book is that every step of the way, Satan tried to block us. I mean, everything. We, 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 we couldn't find a tugboat, for example. I mean, you, <laughs> we're going to have 20 men. It was going to take 20 men to accomplish this. Uh, a seagoing tugboat, well, uh, we didn't have time to have one built from scratch. So we had to find one that was existing. I used one that was capable of doing what we expected to do. A normal tugboat, even an ocean-going one, has a, a crew of six people on board. And so they build the forecastle where they sleep and, and, and live basically for six people. We were going to have 20 guys on this thing. So we had to be able to house 20 people uh, on, this, on this tugboat. 
It needed a high front bow for going through the ocean, out in ocean, rather than just in the harbor, which many tugboats you see are just like harbor tugs. And, and it had to have powerful engines to be able to pull a barge with 232 tons of cargo on board. So the search for this tugboat was probably one of our biggest challenges. And it just we were just dead-ended everywhere we went. We couldn't find anything. And Doug Sutphin, at this time, was asked by Open Doors International to write his story of his life and of the ministry in China. And they piggybacked his book on Brother Andrew's book. Brother Andrew, as you know, was most famous for his first book called God's Smuggler. And um, this book by Brother David, it came out in 1980, was titled uh, God's Smuggler to China. And uh, he was asked to do a speaker's tour in Australia and New Zealand to promote the book. And while he was in New Zealand, he was meeting with the board of Open Doors New Zealand. And uh, they had some real prayer warriors on this, on this board. So they, they asked him, uh, everybody knew about Project Pearl. All they knew was it was a million Bibles for China and nothing else, even, even insiders. And so they said to him, uh, what what can we pray for? We're going to have a special prayer meeting tonight, and we'd like to focus on Project Pearl. And he said, well, we've been looking for a tugboat, and you have to keep this secret. He says, this, we need a tugboat, and we just haven't been able to find it. And one of the guys, uh, his name was Eddie. Eddie was just a, a major prayer warrior. I've never met anyone quite like him. And he said, look, Doug, we will stay here all if it takes all night to pray for God to show us where that tugboat is. And it was, it was amazing. They, they, they prayed, and suddenly Eddie had a vision, and he said, oh, stop, stop praying. The Lord has showed me this tugboat. And he, he described a picture of a, a building that looked like a grain elevator, which had colored stripes on it, and down below it, and the trees, there were trees, and then below it was a tugboat up on, a, on blocks on a beach. And so he tells Doug this vision, and Doug says, okay, well, so where is this tugboat? Well, that's the only thing the Lord didn't show me, was <laughs> where it is, but that's your tugboat. Well, here's the irony. Uh, Doug was finishing uh, his speaking tour, and he, he wanted to get back to the Philippines right away because we're in the middle of this project, and we're now down at deadlines, and we've gotta, we have to have some things accomplished here if this is going to happen. And he wants to get back to his team. He's been away for a week and a half or more, and he has his wife with him who was traveling with him. And they get a phone call that the Philippine Airlines plane that they were to take back to Manila had an engine blow and they had to ship in a new engine from the Philippines. And so their flight was going to be delayed for like days. So we're putting you on Singapore Airlines as a temporary measure. And we'll fly you to Singapore. And from there, Philippine Airlines will drive, fly you home to the Philippines. But it means an extra day. You have to overnight in Singapore. Well, he was on the plane grumbling. He's grumbling. to so I wanted to get home. And, and all we're doing is having roadblocks here, one after the other. And his dear wife said to him, Doug, Doug, don't you think that God knows all about this? And he says, oh, my goodness, you're right. He says, 
Singapore is the one place we have not really looked for a tugboat um, because there, we, there were none listed for sale from there. They had nothing listed. So he's thinking, okay, Lord, maybe you are in this, this delay that I'm experiencing. So when they get to Singapore, they store their bags in a, in a storage place there. And they jump in a taxi and they say, take us to the river. They know there's a river that runs right through Singapore. And so, and as they're driving along the river, he looks across the river and he sees a big building that's just like a grain elevator with colored pastel stripes down the side. At the bottom are trees, and up on blocks is not one, but two tugboats sitting there on the thing. So they, they go around, they quickly go around, and they, they, um, they come to the front door of this shipping company that had these two tugboats, and, and it was 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And they said, no, we're closed. Everything's closed. And, but, and so he says to them, well, what are those two tugboats sitting out there? And they said, uh, oh, uh, they were built for a company in Indonesia that went bankrupt. And so they're not finished, but they're just sitting there waiting to be sold. And uh, so Doug's eyes bulge and he immediately get, and he's, he gets on the phone and uh, finds out where the office is, where he can be at nine o'clock the next morning. And um, he phoned Bill and me. You get on an airplane tonight to Singapore immediately because tomorrow morning we're going to have a meeting. I want you to look at these things. So we um, we flew over, and in the morning, Bill looked at the tugboats, and they were exactly, well, not exactly, but as close to what we needed as was probably able to be found. And the good thing was they weren't finished yet, so they could be refinished, you know, they could be finished inside to sleep. 20 men. That was one of the key concerns that he had. How do we keep 20 guys on a 100-foot tugboat? So Doug and I went and, and negotiated for that tugboat. We finally got them down to about a half a million dollars uh, for it finished. They would finish everything inside, all of the equipment needed on the bridge and, and operations with satellite navigation and all this stuff that was uh, just coming into play in those days and uh, that and we we got the tugboat back to the philippines just in time to pick up our barge which was was way overdue in its in its timing to be finished but it was like god just did everything step by step at the last minute uh, one of my challenges was was the crew so here you've got 20 guys who are going to go to sea well you have to have permits to do that. First of all, you have to have your, your vessel registered with a country. Okay, You fly a flag. Many flags are fly, what they call flags of convenience. So they, we, we decided Panama was a good choice. So we're going to register this. And we called the tugboat after the archangel, Michael, because we knew we needed all the angelic help we could get for this project. And the barge, we're going to name after the other angel, um, if we know from the Bible, who was Gabriel, but barges in the Philippines are feminine. So she became Gabriella. So Michael and Gabriella. And um, so I, I went to the, the, the uh, Panama embassy in Singapore to register this thing and, and, and also to get crew uh, approvals because you have to have permits to be a, even a crew member on an international ship. And, uh, 
it was it was an absolutely miraculous the way God um, did that at the, again at the last because first they said no, and so we went back and prayed like crazy about this, and went back again and I don't know what God did in the meantime but they suddenly changed their mind, and they gave us all the permits that we needed for everybody uh, to be on that on that ship. So there, you know, I mean, God just did miracle after miracle after miracle. So it was, it was um, June the 18th when the high tide was going to be uh, getting us as close to that beach as we could get that barge. And on June 15, which happened to be my birthday, we left Hong Kong. 20 men on a tugboat and a barge ready to go deliver a million Bibles into China. And we were, it took us a couple of days. I mean, when you've got that heavy load, we were going the vast speed of two knots an hour. I mean, you could walk faster than that. And <laughs> so we did not expect to ever get away if we were stopped or if we were intercepted or if we were uh, captured and imprisoned for a, a supposed you know, kind of military attack or something. Uh, in fact, the captain was so strong on that, that as we got close to shore that night of the delivery, he made us even take our pocket knives. And as, as sailors, you're always got a pocket knife in, in your pocket because you never know when you're going to need it for what. And we threw our pocket knives overboard in order that if we were ever stopped in this project, uh, we would have no any not any kind of thing that could be perceived as a weapon we had no weapons all we had was a big load of chinese bibles and we're going to call it a wrap there for this week but you'll want to join us next week for part two when paul finishes the story tells us what happened that night how they delivered a million bibles and the impact it had on the church in china we'll also spend time praying for the church in china today And so we would love for you to join us. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of World Watch Weekly from Open Doors Canada. For more information on how to pray for our persecuted family, please visit our website, www.opendoorsca.org. Click Get Involved, and then click Prayer.